Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the latest and greatest episode of Green Game Rivals. I am one of your hosts, Maximum X, and with me, as always, is the PlayStation aficionado, the Gunpla Master Builder, Sean Templar. How's it going, Sean? I'm uh, good, uh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> I've only managed to fin- finish one Gunpla, so I don't know if I can consider myself a Gunpla Master Builder, but I have to say, it is really really relaxing i mean i've i know right <laughs> oh my it's so I, I was working on one yesterday i just had a stream on on my mac uh my um uh computer and uh i was just uh cutting away and slicing some smaller bits off and uh, i think i almost finished my first one so i already have my second one ready to start on in a couple of days but it's i i would recommend it it's just so zen it's kind of like legos you know it's also super zen you know yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> I just got my new uh I just got my new kit in uh and I'm really happy with it so I can uh hopefully start with that when I have a little bit more time. Um I also got a model for one of my other uh, kits that I built a while ago because that one for some reason does not have the ability to stand on its own. So I had to buy an action uh an action base. So that's finally in. And the cool thing about the action base, even that is Gunpla. So oh, you nice. have to build it like like it's a kit that you have to put together. Oh, that's it's really so nice. cool. That's cool. I just thought like, oh, you know, you just put it together real quick and that's it. No, it's an actual model. So I'm going to do that. Um, like, I think it literally takes like a half hour, maybe less to put it together. So I'll do that whenever I have some spare time. Um, and then I'm going to work on the one that I got, which is the Sky Grasper, which is uh, based off one of the 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 the. the well, it's not actually Gundam because it's a jet um, from Gundam Seed. So, yeah. Nice. I've already eyed for some uh, other ones. I'm a fan of the Wing Gundam ones, this uh, this TV show. I'm all, I also started watching those again. Uh, <laughs> so there's one called Heavy Arms, which has all those miniguns. And uh, mm-hmm. I've been looking online and there's, a, I think, a Master Grade. Ooh. So I'm like, oh, maybe I'll get that one. There's also a High Grade. So the one I've worked on right now is a Real Grade. Yeah. And uh, the high grade also, I think they, they really improved the high grade. So that's from what I saw online because the high grades were always like okay-ish. But yeah. uh, the high grades apparently are, uh, are pretty nice right now. So um, I have uh, the, the real grade is a pretty small one. It's, I think the scale is 1144. And uh, the other one is like a Samurai Gundam, which is 1100. So it's already a bit bigger. Um, but, you know, I'll see. There's no rush. I mean, these models were in my storage for two years so uh <laughs> <laughs> oh my yeah the, the the instructions were just so overwhelming and and uh I, I remember liam starting his a couple of months ago and he said no 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 you just have to go through the manual a couple of pages and then it gets easier I'm like oh yeah okay so i did that and now it's like in two nights i completely built the gundam I didn't yeah. want to do it all in one go, so uh, it's really nice. I, I think with the now, with the one now, I just have to do the weapons and it's done. Yeah. And uh, yeah, shout outs to Liam Tom, man. He's uh, he's also been uh, rocking uh, his. Uh, was was it a? I think it was a master grade that he was working on a while back, and wow, that one looked really good. Um, but yeah, master grade. I think if I ever were to tackle something like that, I I'd have to like take like a month off of AK and just take my sweet time building that. Is it is it that so difficult? Well, it's not that difficult, but I do want to take my time with it because mm. I think um, 
I want to make sure that everything is good. And if I'm going to do a master grade, I might actually do like uh, pick some like weathering painting tutorials and make it look weathered. Mm, nice. That would be really cool. Either that or if I could ever find, uh, well, that I don't think it would be that hard. But if I ever decide to do one, I would want to do one for the uh, Unicorn Gundam. And that one is specific because it has a lot of places where you could essentially put in um, LED lights. And I know that there are special like LED upgrade kits that you can use for that specific model so that it lights up. Real I've seen cool. those. I think there's even kits where they include the LED because it's a, like a, a mini circuit board and you have to yeah. fold the circuit board. I've, I've, I've been watching a lot of Gunpla YouTube. Uh, <laughs> so, like It's so scary because they're like folding that circuit board in all sorts of shapes and sizes. And I'm like, doesn't that damage the circuit board? Or what if it happens if you bend it too too much? Doesn't it break? But I mean, these guys that I watch are like pros at it and they also build dioramas. Which look really, really cool. So yeah, yeah. So that would be a that would be quite the project, and I would want to take my time for it, and I would like to document properly. So yeah. But this is not Gunpla Rivals. This is Game Rivals. Yeah, I was about to say the same thing. <laughs> what a, what a what a tangent we went yeah. on. Apologies, just when we start talking about Gunpla, it gets all exciting. But we're here to talk about games, which is also very exciting. Um, it has not been a very particularly exciting moment. Psych, nope. There was a lot of news, a lot of very specific news. So let's just jump right in with that. Um, and I think we should start with the most surprising news of all. Sony buying Evo. Yeah, this doesn't mean anything to me, but I know you like, uh, you know what this is, so... So this is very big. I mean, especially if you're into, if you're a fighting game, uh, if you're a fighting game player, or if you're, uh, you know, into that world of watching, you know, fighting game tournaments and whatnot. Um, it's really big because I don't know if people remember, but last year's Evo got canceled because of some unfortunate unsightliness uh in terms of uh some higher ups um doing some very shady nasty stuff that is just unacceptable and well the the future of evil was kind of in the balance partially due to to um uh, a certain a certain thing uh that happened in the world last year that we all are still going through and People were unsure if we were even going to get Evo this year. I mean, I think that is less of an issue now. I think we can almost guarantee that this year we will have an Evo. Um, and if they're going to do it, they're probably going to do it the way they intended to do it last year, which is uh, online, unless they are going to require people to be vaccinated. Um, that would be strange. That would be strange. So I don't think they're going to do that. I think they're going to do it online, um, assuming that they can get the infrastructure set up in a way that people can participate online from home. Um, it might also be that they just end up doing exhibition matches. I have no idea what they're going to do, especially since Sony now co-owns Evo with, uh, with an, I think, uh, with a separate entity, which is called um, RTS. I have no which, idea. Which is kind of a weird acronym for 
a entity to have that is doing fighting games since RTS is real time strategy. Game. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even the, uh, to be fair. It's not a joke. I made someone made that joke, and I was like, oh, I actually, <laughs> I actually didn't realize that the acronym was RTS. I don't remember what the RTS the acronym stands for, which again is saying a lot. Um, but yeah, this is a this is very this is a very interesting take because now a lot of people are like, okay, so if Sony owns Evo, what happens to fighting games that are not on Sony platforms, specifically Smash? Because Smash is a Nintendo property and a Nintendo fighting game. Would that suddenly disappear from Evo? We don't know because Nintendo just let out a very very basic statement um about that they're that they're looking into it and they'll you know they take stuff case by case in terms of tournaments such a such a basic pr answer yeah i mean you could tell it was a basic pr answer but somebody just probably copy pasted it from like a sticky he has on a desktop oh oh this is uh copy oh this is basic pr answer 53 let me just copy paste this (laughs) <laughs> who knows i mean they probably used you know those magnetic uh that magnetic magnetic poetry like um uh refrigerator magnets well probably so who knows but but, but yeah that's a really big question like what happens to games that are best on xbox for example or um best on playstation like are those gonna get priority as far as they said, they said that it's open to all platforms. So, you know, they're not going to be playing stuff specifically on PlayStation. They're also going to be playing the PC versions. And to be fair, last year, um, they were going to have, I think, all of them play on the PC so that it's all uniform. Um, I don't know how they're going how they're going to do it this year. I'm assuming that if that's the case, they would do at the very least in the near foreseeable future, they would focus on the PC specific version of games, which would automatically like disqualify Switch, because it or Smash because it's not on PC. Um, but yeah, what what does the future for Evo look like at this point? Nobody knows other than that Sony is in charge, um, and that. Yeah, they'll be handling everything from there on out. Uh, it's, I mean, it's a bit. I mean, it's big news, and it's at least one of the more upsetting, upsetting gaming news of of the past couple of weeks because nobody saw it coming, um, and people are still very curious as to what Eva was going to do now, and or if it was going to exist. At least we know that it's going to exist. We know that. Probably will hear something about it in the very near future about what they're going to do. Um, what they're going to do after that, we don't know yet. So, at least, at least it's something. I guess so. Yeah, I mean, like this isn't my topic, so there's not a lot I can say about it. I don't play fighting games, and I don't watch them. Or, I mean, yeah, just that's basically it. <laughs> you, should, you should, you know, when when Evo comes back, we should, we should, we should watch some matches together. At, le- at least the at least the, the like the the finals the finals are always good because that means you're watching the best of the best okay yeah we can we can do that um all right so moving on to that 
Um, Outriders. Day yes. one Game Pass. Wow, really? Console version only. Yeah, that's a surprise move. The funny way that they announced it was that um, they uh, kind of had uh, Microsoft, I think it was a tweet or something they posted in which they mm. fake leaked uh, it. So I think it's something that they did in the past before in which they have this this joke in which you see like an email conversation between, um, I think, fake Xbox employees in which they kind of, in, in which they discuss that a certain game is going to come to Xbox and then it suddenly leaks out through that tweet. Mm-hmm. In in this case, they were uh, they didn't directly mention um, Outriders, but they used specific words which are in the synopsis for Outriders. So people automatically started speculating and saying, "Oh yeah, it's probably Outriders coming to um, the Game Pass." Oh wow, that'd be so awesome! Oh, da, 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 da. And then people were like, "Yeah, okay, let's see." And then they announced that. Outriders, the console version only, is coming to Game Pass on day one, which is in three days. So yeah. if if you listen to this episode, it's the day after this episode. It's April 1st. So, um, yeah, I mean, I played the demo. It's a really nice game. Um, it is something I would recommend. Um, I, I am going to wait for the reviews just to be sure. But um, it, it looks like a really fun co-op game. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I touched upon the demo like a very little bit, but I just got the t- t- tutorials that I don't have a really big opinion on it. I played it on PlayStation. The thing that I do find interesting is that they're specifically doing it only for Game Pass on Xbox, but not for Game Pass on PC. And that seems to have been a con, that seems to be a trend that's been going on with Game Pass for quite some time. And I did see an article recently that they that they will try and add more games to the PC Game Pass. To I think they're actually going for parity um, somewhere down the line, so that basically any games that also have a PC version will also be added to Game Pass on PC instead of having it only be on consoles for like a really long time and then like. A year down the road. Oh, yeah. I guess we should also put this on PC Game Pass. Here you go, PC. (laughs) It's like... Because there's there's way more games on the Xbox Game Pass than on the the PC side. But I think that going forward that... I mean, PC has always had this label of... Oh, yeah, but PC is dying. I mean, the future is console. But PC has always stuck around. And it might not have gotten all those exclusives that uh, those big exclusives that we're used to seeing on console. But I mean, if you look at that, Microsoft has been bringing a lot of games to the PC and the Xbox day and date. And Sony has announced that they're going to bring more games to the PC because they're going to release Days Gone this summer on PC. And they've said, we're going to do a lot more games on PC. So now people will actually have a chance to maybe play something like Spider-Man or God of War or Ghost of Tsushima on PC. I mean, it, in the end, the gamer benefits because there's just more people that get to play these games if they don't have a console, uh, which which benefits all. And I mean, from a financial point of view, I think we are at that point in which, I, and maybe it's because I don't don't I don't use it anymore. But I used to I I know that like maybe ten years ago, piracy among PC games was really big. I don't know if it's still a thing. Oh, it's definitely still a thing. Except you have 
I mean, except you still have stuff like Steam sales. You now have the Epic Game Store games a day stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you have uh, the ability to stream games now through uh, Stadia, for better or worse. Uh, you have you have uh, GeForce Now where you can yeah, stream the, through. The, the, the thing I me- meant is that um, I, th- I think a lot of PC gamers actually buy the games these days instead of just pirate it. Whereas like 10 years ago, I mean, it was a bad thing to release a game on PC because of the piracy amount. I mean, uh, I, I remember Ubisoft saying in an article like years ago, like we don't want to do PC games or we're not interested in doing PC games because a lot of it is being pirated. So we just lose a lot of money on a PC game. Whereas now, uh, I think they either make the most money from PC games or they make the, the second most money from PC games. Uh, so that's like a huge shift in the market. I mean, think I I have to think that part of it is because that they they open their own platform on PC yeah, where people can buy their stuff directly. Um, and like I said, like part of it is also like the subscription stuff. I mean, EA has well rebranded now EA Play. That you know Ubisoft has you you play or Ubisoft Connect Plus or whatever. No, it's called, I think it's now. called you play Plus. It's still called Uplay Plus? Oh, that's I think the service is called Uplay Plus, and the part that makes sure that it's all interconnected is called Ubisoft Connect. Ubisoft Connect. Right. Uh, great naming scheme. Uh, yep. They probably learned that from Microsoft with the Series X and S. <laughs> I still keep saying 1X sometimes. I just stopped altogether. I just call it Xbox. I'm tired. Yeah. <laughs> Ain't nobody got time for that, man. Ain't nobody got time for that. Yeah, man. Oh, uh, man. Speaking of Microsoft... Um, so you know how the world kind of folded and had to rely on video apps like Zoom and how Zoom is really big and people don't use Skype really, um, Mm. and nobody cares really about Skype, but for us gamers, we don't use that either. And we use discord instead. Yep. Which is awesome and has a lot of flexibility. Guess who is trying to ruin Discord for $10 billion? I wonder if it is such a bad thing. I mean, the rumor is that Microsoft is going to buy um, Discord for $10 billion. Yeah. I mean, which is crazy. Yeah, but like, I mean, Amazon bought Twitch, and I know that. A lot of people have mixed feelings about Twitch now, but I don't know if that's because the Amazon mer- uh, acquisition or that Twitch was already heading in that direction. Well, so Twitch like, was already kind of heading in a direction. It's just that it got diverted, and I will never know what that direction was. And Amazon did. Amazon really did not help in that aspect. Let me just put it that way. Yeah, but like, what, what's stopping Microsoft from buying Discord, saying, hey, Discord just stays the way it is? We just use technology they have in other services, such as Microsoft Teams or whatever, or we bring over some stuff to Discord, but Discord stays the way it is. We just make sure that they have a lot of money to keep on um, making the product great. I mean, they bought other studios and doesn't mean they bought studios and those studios are still alive and making great games. Yeah, but Microsoft doesn't have the best track records of not meddling with stuff that they buy. And... And also, remember, and also, this is the really weird part of it all, right? 
how is Discord worth more than Zenimax Bethesda? Uh, I think that's because uh, Z- uh, Discord is going to they, uh, an IPO is something that they're also considering, and they've been valued at. Uh, that amount because one they have paying subscribers because zoom Zoom discord has of course the the tiers for streaming Mm -hmm. like um, i i for example watch formula one through discord with some friends and the basic quality 720p and then you can pay like 10 euros a month and then you get full hd and then you can pay like more to get 4k so when somebody streams their screen you can get higher quality so we watch formula one that way um on sundays and I mean, if, if Discord has, Discord 1 has, a, I think, a huge install base, mm-hmm. and 2, maybe a lot of paying subscribers, but that brings with it some value. Because I don't mm-hmm. think this is, this is simply like a, a, an acquisition for the sake of technology. I mean, they could build the technology themselves. I think they this is my technology own. themselves. They just squandered it. I, I think this is more like we want to um make our xbox brand even more accessible maybe they want to incorporate discord into uh xbox that you can just for example no matter because now your platforms are are segregated i mean if there is cross play but there's no cross communication platform and maybe discord is going to be that in which they just bring pc and xbox gamers together and just say like hey we have game pass that offers you to play on xbox and on pc and now we also have a communication platform that does the same so you can jump into parties with your friends at all times or because one thing that is really cool about uh discord as well is the community aspect i i'm part of a a racing community i i um i do a stream as a commentator every two weeks with, uh, with another person and they have like a, a discord community which all the information is communicated in and there's like a lot of different topics in that community it's really cool because there's if, if you're a racer there are like all sorts of topics you can head into and, and talk to people about it get information about setups for your cars or liveries or if you're new to the league so i think like 20 years ago we used to have forums and those are basically just going away and i think discord in a way is creating a much more organized way of of having community forums well forums evolved into reddit so that's not going away anytime soon and discord is more of a hangout place um than than a forum like forums forums have an an actual paper trail discord kind of does if you're using you know, like chats, but if you're doing video uh, video voice chats, unless you're recording it, yeah, you don't really have a paper trail in that. But also Discord, for example, I know that last year, a lot of game developers used Discord for previews. So what they used to do is just invite some journalists in and then preview their game over Discord, for example. Yep. So and because it has so multifaceted uses that Microsoft is thinking like, hey, we want this. And I know that a lot of people in the gaming industry outside of like game developers use discord to like stream their stuff i mean streamers use discord to stream their stuff when they're collaborating with other people so yeah i the one thing that um that also might be the reason why microsoft is willing to pay 10 billion dollars for uh discord is (laughs) (laughs) you guys can't see it but he was doing the whole 10 billion dollars uh, dr evil pinky thing 
Uh, good grief. Um, one of the things that I was hearing chatter about is that they were doing it for the user data. Um, I wonder what is, kind of user data. I mean, a lot because it's advertiser information. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's no way that like Discord is not is not like selling ad space or whatever or data to to companies that want that data on how people are using Discord and what kind of people are using it and like what kind of communities there are and stuff like that. It's a huge pool. Probably. So if that is true and and if if that's true and that is what they're aiming for, that means that people's information is worth more to Microsoft than just a company filled with game developers and IPs. But I don't think that's just a Microsoft thing. I mean, if you look at, uh, I think it was Google that did it. They bought Motorola years ago purely for the patents. They had so many patents and they just wanted Motorola and they bought them all for the patents. And then I think like after one or two years, they sold Motorola off to Lenovo and Lenovo bought them also for patents, I think. So like it was the same thing. It was like, the technology you have innovated on or the patents you hold is far more worth for us than what you as a company and your employees do for us. Mm. Um, so I don't think that Microsoft is the first one. I think this is something you will see more and more often. Um, I think Sony did it as well with uh, Gaikai and the OnLive. They bought them for the patents they have for streaming online. Yeah. Um, we're not seeing, I think, I don't know if we're seeing the fullest use of that, but that's another discussion. Uh, but I think, yeah, I mean, that's something you do. If you can't get the technology, you just buy the company. And in this case, if, if you want a lot of data and Discord collects it, then go for it. I mean, I don't know if there's ads in Discord. I don't see any, but maybe I don't use Discord enough to see them. Yeah, I mean, if it's stuff like collecting data from their users, it's not something that we're going to see anyways. They just have to inform people that they are. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know they did that. I mean. Yeah. Well, again, that's just something that I heard chatter on online. So I have no idea if, if that would be the true case. Um, but what is might possibly be the true case is... Sony closing down their online stores for the PlayStation 3, PSP, and PS Vita. Yeah, I mean, the, this rumor, I don't know if it's confirmed or not. It's still a rumor. It's still, I think it's a rumor, but it has caused this frenzy of people just massively booting up their PS3s, downloading all sorts of games they normally didn't want to play or haven't played, and then uh, making sure they have it on their PlayStations because the services are going down. And on the other side, there's also the whole part about there's a coin battery on the logic board of the PlayStation, which makes sure that the internal time of the PlayStation is correct. Mm -hmm. If that battery dies, then you can still use the PlayStation. But what it does, does is it reaches out through the internet to the servers to authenticate and make sure that it has the correct time. But those servers are linked to the store. And if the store goes down, the servers go down. So people are either massive in, in this mass hysteria of replacing coin batteries on a PS3 or they're downloading lots of games. I mean, I, I know on, I saw on Instagram the other day that a, a, a person we both follow, Kaib or Kai, as he, he says he, you can call him, he was posting all sorts of stories that he is 
downloading all games to his PlayStation 3. I'm like, oh, wow, okay, is this that serious? I mean, I, w- I was visiting my parents over the weekend, and my PS3 is still there. I have a 60 gigabyte uh, OG fat model that plays, plays PS2 games. But I, ha- I had been thinking about bringing it over for a while. So I thought, like, you know what, I'll just bring it over. I'll take it apart. I'll clean it, replace the thermal paste, stuff like that. But just for the sake of, I just want to play some older PS3 games. I mean, yeah, I have a lot of PS Plus games, but I really don't care about those games, you know, because if I did, I would have played them by now. But it's funny to see people in this hysteria, like, oh, no. Uh, I'm like, but how many people are actually going to play those games? I mean, the PS3 is old compared. To, I mean, we're in the fifth yeah. generation. We're in, we're in PS5 right now. If you valued your PS3 so much, you would have played it in the last 10 years, you know? I think it's the idea, again, that people will lose access. Then the fact that they will all massively start to play PS3 games all of a sudden. Yeah. And honestly, to be fair, the the, the only instances that should be worried about these stores closing are the video game historians, specifically the video yeah. game um, history foundation. Yeah. Because they're all about preserving games and they are literally taking away ways to preserve games by yep. shutting those services down. So I can, I can imagine them being like, Oh no, are you but this, me? this got me thinking because um, I, I've said before, and I think we've discussed it as well, is that I think this is, the last generation that we're going to have physical media. I think next generation, we will swap over to either a digital, uh, don't give me that look. I think in, in five to seven years, we'll get new consoles. Mm-hmm. And then probably internet around the world will be a lot more developed. So I think that either this generation or possibly next generation will be the last disc-based generation. I think if we, if this isn't the last one and we'll include it in the next one. The focus will be more on digital next generation. And then after the generation, we're all going over to streaming and we just, you know, can just log into our browser and play any game. But that means we will lose a lot of games because if we go all digital and we get to the point that servers get shut down, we will never have that physical medium to fall back onto, which means that in 30 years from now, you might never be able to play certain games and they will just be a distant memory. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is a possibility. So basically, games could be wiped from existence and you will never be able to play it, which is mm-hmm. a pretty scary thought. Yeah, I don't I don't know how, how far, if it's going to go that far in the, in the future. But uh, at least, I mean, the, the, the reason why I'm saying this is because you have companies like a limited run that bring out physical copies of digital only games. Yeah. But they can't you know, do it all. They can't do it all, but you do see them doing it more often now more than ever, yeah. especially on Switch games. Because there are a lot of Switch games that are digital only yeah. from indie developers. And they strike these deals with indie developers because again, indie developers do not have the funds to do um Physical, physical copies yeah. and that's why limited copies uh, copies that's why companies like limited run exist so i hope that they're able to do stuff like that it's also one of the reasons why people are so excited that they're doing a physical copy of like for example 
uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the World because that was Xbox Arcade exclusive. And when the license ran out, it was gone, and it yeah, has been gone for did. seven years. Yeah, that is not even, did. and that is not even that the store was down. No, they just took the game down. It was not available anymore. Uh, exactly that. Exactly. At least now it's back in digital and limited physical form. But if if that company didn't step up, that would have meant that nobody would be able to play that game anymore. And I mean, that well, if in a way Ubisoft worked. didn't step up because Ubisoft made it. Yeah, yeah, but like I mean, I I have moments in which I get nostalgic and want to play older games. I yeah. mean, I'm I'm playing on all sorts of platforms right now. I'm even playing Metal Gear Asset Two on my PSP and still enjoying it. I mean. This might be an issue because just we might lose out on some games. And then I think that will be a, b a bigger disappointment than the PlayStation Store going down. Um, I, I mean, at least I would, I would think Sony would say, like, you know what? We'll check if we can make that authentication process maybe still available to people so that if their coin battery dies out and they can still use those games. But maybe the systems are woven in so intricately that that's not even possible. That's what people are hoping that at least that you can authenticate games that you already bought mm -hmm. um, and that you can read at the very least re-download them if you ever bought them on the system. Yeah. I don't like at a certain point, even with, for example, WiiWare went down, like the Wii Shop channel and the DSiWare channel are down. I don't think you can re-download games from them anymore. So when that went down, I also had to scramble, mostly because I still had credits on the Wii Shop channel. Oh, wow. And luckily, I had just enough to buy three of the most interesting games on there, mm -hmm. which were um, Contra Rebirth, uh, Contra Rebirth, Castlevania, The Rebirth, and another third Rebirth game. Oh, I don't remember. Um, was it Gradius Rebirth? Yeah, Gradius Rebirth. Mm, okay. And I know for a fact that those three games, because it's Konami, will never see a re-release ever again because it's Konami. So wow. I had to do it that way. And that's also part of the reason why some people are upset. There are games that probably will never get a re-release that maybe you have like nostalgic feelings towards. Yeah. That's like, the whole argument. Yeah, so like it's... Yeah, it's it. I get why some people are upset. Um, I think the people that deserve to be upset are again historians that are trying to preserve gaming history. Um, but I can also understand some people having affinity for certain games that they haven't been able to find physically for a recent decent price because a lot of the PlayStation One games on there, for example, are dirt cheap. Yeah. yeah, it's digital only, and it's not a physical copy. But at the very least, you can replay that game that way. Yeah, I have of... uh, Metal Gear Solid One digitally on my PSP, and I'm a PS3. So and on your PlayStation Classic. Uh, and on my PlayStation Classic, <laughs> and I also have a physical copy. But I mean, I never touch the physical copy because you know that's like more more like memorabilia. Plus, I don't know where my PS1 is. <laughs> oh, well, that's one way to... to but I think I can... It. I think... Is the PS3 not backwards compatible with PS1 with PlayStation well? 1? Yeah, as long uh, as it's a European copy, yes. Yeah, yeah, So, I mean, like... Yeah, I've solved it there. But anyways, I mean, yeah. Um, 
we're just going to have to wait. I think it's it's inevitable and it's going to happen and it's sad, but at the mm. same time, I mean, yeah. It's going to happen. Yeah. True. Uh, well, next up is some more some more departures. Yeah, it's uh, more bye-byes from Anthem developer BioWare. Yep. The director from Anthem left BioWare after working for the company for 10 years. Yeah, the guy was in charge of Anthem Next, and uh, because Anthem Next, of course, got canceled, mm -hmm. he decided to take his leave. And in, when he left, he said, for the fans, know that Star Wars The Old Republic and Dragon Age are in good hands, and the games are looking really good. So I wouldn't worry about that, which sounds reassuring. I don't know why he didn't mention <laughs> Mass Effect, but maybe he didn't work on Mass Effect recently. Um, but yeah, it's sad. I mean, a lot of people were looking forward to Anthem next. I was looking forward to it. I yeah. installed it on my PS4 uh, recently. So I thought like, hey, is, is, since the update is not coming, I might as well start playing it soon. And um, yeah, it, it's sad. He hasn't really stated what he's going to do, um, but he'll just probably pop up. By the way, now that I think of it, I don't. There's one thing we haven't mentioned. We, we were just talking about like, hey, yeah, some stuff happening, but I don't know if it's major. But talking about this got me thinking that Sony has invested in a new studio, and I think we haven't touched upon that. Oh my goodness, you're absolutely right. We didn't talk about. Yeah, that. It, it was for me. It, it was a surprise. It kind of. Honestly, it kind of came and went. I mean, it was big news. It is big news. Yeah. And I actually did want to talk about it for a couple of reasons. But yeah, um, new studio. Haven Studio. Haven Studio, headed by Jade Raymond. Which I which did is... not expect. I thought she would be more like an Xbox kind of person. That, that she would do this with Xbox instead of with PlayStation. Well, that's... A... I guess if that's your take, um, my, the thing that I, here's the thing. So let's go back a couple of weeks. Um, Google announces that they're closing Google studios, the yeah. studio that was headed by Jade Raymond. Yep. We knew when they announced that, that Jade Raymond, sorry, had left. Yep. It's not like in the process of leaving when the announcement was made, she had left the studios. The yep. studios were shuttered. People got fired, which really sucks. But it's yeah. barely been, what, a month? And then this announcement comes out. Part of me feels that she was already working on this deal to start her own studio um, with Sony. And that Sony was going to bankroll it way before the announcement came that they were shutting down Google Studios. And I think... I think this she's is, in advance because this, she's an executive. Is, yeah, but this is this is just speculation on my part, right? Yeah. She got off a drowning ship, uh, of a sinking ship before people were realizing that it was changing. Yeah, I think, to be honest, she's an, she was an executive. So I think she's either new or she saw it coming and thought like, hey, um, I have I'm going to lose my job. I have to go into preservation mode and just find out what I'm going to do next. Yeah. Or she left because she thought, well, we're not moving forward with anything and she wants to do stuff and she doesn't want to waste her time anymore. And 
her departure is the reason why the studio collapsed. Again, speculation. Mm, I don't know. I think I because think it's already a done deal. Because let's be real here. Something like that doesn't happen overnight. Yeah, but like... If it you, also doesn't happen in like three weeks. Yeah, but you would... Then what you're basically saying is that the whole success of Google's game development studios rode on the shoulders of Jade Raymond. Whereas when Phil Harrison used to work at Sony, he was the head of Worldwide Studios. And he was a really capable executive because a lot of people... What you'll often see is that if uh, a Sony game gets an award during an award show, generally the people that take the award in thank a lot of people from the team themselves, but they always thank people from Sony. And generally it's either Shuhei Yoshida or it was, um, well, we haven't heard Herman Hulse's name yet because he hasn't been there a lot that long. Or they would say... Um, Scott Rohde, or they would say Sean Layden, or they would say some other guy, but they would like always thank people from that team because from what we gather, they have always been supportive. They have always created this culture in which uh, people can can do, uh, there's room for risk, there's room for innovation, there's room for, for stuff out of the ordinary. When Phil Harrison was at Sony, he also did this. So it's more like a cultural thing. I mean, PlayStation Home, purely existed because phil harrison was so adamant and believed in it whereas a lot of people said like yeah but this is a wasted product it got to where it is because they had a supporter in the form of phil harrison so if jade raymond were to leave phil harrison would still be able to step in and say hey i'm gonna oversee all these studios and we're gonna make something out of it but i think that i th i think more is like an executive top chain decision in which google says like we're not getting the results we want because they maybe expect something like a tech turnover in which they can churn out a new model of a phone in a couple of months. And they realized, well, with games, it's not something that we're going to be able to churn out in a couple of months. This is taking up more money. Stadia isn't as successful as we want. We just have to reallocate resources. Where shall we reallocate it to? Well, not the games. Mm. Yeah. On the other hand, Phil Harrison has also had some really really lousy lousy stints at other companies including sony um so yeah i don't i don't think that relying on that fact would be a strong thing to do i don't um, believe that it fell because jade raymond left i think more she left because she i think it's at in. least i i'm not saying that it that is the main reason i think it is a big reason why because if someone sees the writing on the wall and they're just going to depart and just leave everybody else hanging, I'm not saying that she did. Um, maybe that the decision was from the higher ups. And then when she found out, she just started looking for new avenues. But the fact that developers weren't aware of this until it was announced that they're shuttering the whole division, that's crazy. Because before that, we know that they got a message that, you know, they were doing good they were doing a good job and, you know, keep up the good work. And then like two weeks later, it's like, yeah. yeah but I don't think because she left that. So in the scenario you're talking, it's like Phil Harrison sends out that email to the team. Like, Hey, you're all great. We're on track. La la la. Super good. La la la. Let's go. And then suddenly Jade Raymond leaves after that email. And he's like, Oh crap. Well, there's no one to lead these studios. You know what? We'll just shut it down. I think, it is it, oh, no, no, I don't, no, no, I don't think that that's the case. I don't think that oh, that's the case. I think I'm, it's a higher up the same I'm, I'm thinking that the higher ups are being, just being like 
deceptive to to like the you know the developers yeah that's what i think i think the higher ups were deceptive to to the developers which you know jade raymond technically was a part of i think they a lot of people underestimated how game development works look if it's not true please correct me on this i would love to be wrong on that end i'm just saying it's and just saying it's really suspicious that someone goes from one job to the next in a matter of weeks, especially when it comes to something like setting up a studio. If she was going to a studio that was established, I would be like, sure, anybody seeing Jade Raymond is up for grabs would instantly be throwing money at her and saying, like, it, come it work for us and like, direct won. our games. But it could yeah. be that she was all already... What you'll often see is that... I mean, like the, the, the Kojima situation. When Kojima was working on MGS5, yeah. he was... Um, he was, I think he was already gone before MGS5 came out. Yeah, they so, kind of ousted him. Yeah, so what, what, you'll, what, what you'll see is what, what's possible is that Jade was maybe all long gone before Phil sent out that email saying, hey, uh, we're all on track, keep on going. So, I mean, then she would have had a longer time to think about her future instead of she leaving Stadia, Stadia getting shut down, and then within a matter of weeks, she'll like, mm, what should I do? I think she might have been gone for a while. Mm. because sometimes companies do that right they'll like only announce it after a certain date that that person is already gone but the I person in true. question is already gone i guess that's true that that just makes it even more shitty <laughs> yeah but i don't think it's i don't think it's her blame or anything i think no no, no i mean if, i mean if that's the case then that's not the blame on her it's just another very crappy thing for google execs to do which just proves that they're a bunch of out of touch tech nerds that do not understand how the gaming industry works, which makes it even more weird that Phil Harrison let this happen. I, I, I'm honest. I wouldn't be surprised if Phil Harrison leaves. I think I've mentioned it before. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Phil Harrison leaves this Google this year. Oh, I'm not doubting that at all. My yeah. Mind. I mean, I think it's going to happen. Yeah. And then he's going to get a sweet golden parachute to boot. I already think he has a lot of money because he was also the CEO of Atari uh, years ago. Yeah, tell that to Bobby Kotick who fired a bunch of people and got $200 million for it. Yeah. <sighs> that was fun. And gave him a gift card as well as compensation. Dude, that is the most insulting. I know. I think it was a Battle.net gift card. So yeah, even a Battle.net gift card was like, oh, yeah, by the way, you're fired. But here's a $200 Battle.net gift card so that you can play. I think they do get like severance so pay. World, like War- World of Warcraft for the next couple of months. Yeah, but I think I think they did get severance pay. But like, nah, still, just, it sucks. I'm hoping they did. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's, that's the problem about game development. I mean, it looks so um, nice from the outside. But when when you're in, it is so volatile. I mean, you could be with a job one second and lose it the the second after because things under you are moving so quickly. Um, I mean, I think uh, uh, I've mentioned the the YouTube channel NoClip, which is like a really cool YouTube channel. They do gaming documentaries and they do all sorts of. And there's one around Telltale, for example, they did in which Telltale looked like this massive successful company because they made a lot of licensed IP episodic games and they were all good, but they were rehashing the same formula constantly again. And eventually they got to the point where they're losing uh, money, they're um, 
it's really hard for them to keep afloat. And they've been able to document that process by asking, by interviewing people that were in the middle of it. And there you can really get the ins and outs of like why and how things move. I mean, people had put down deposits to move closer to the studio and all of a sudden they hear, yeah, but we're shutting down. We're bankrupt, basically. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was that was a dark day, man. Yep. That was a dark day. I think but they that, made a restart like now. Yeah, so someone bought the company essentially. Yeah. Um, and they're, yeah, it's still like kind of unclear. It feels more like they bought the company for the IPs, at least the ones that aren't licensed. Same with the THQ, uh, when yeah. they got kind of like made a restart. THQ Nordic bought a couple of the IPs of THQ and some of the studios, such as Volition, who did Saints Row. True. I always um, wonder in these cases why a big studio or a big publisher doesn't step in and say, hey, well, you know, we'll just buy you. I know that in some cases, for example, Epic says, you know what, we'll just either do a hiring spree and reach out to all those people that are being let go and we'll say like, hey, we have job opportunities over at us. Uh, you can come over to us. But I, I always wonder in these cases, like, I wonder why an EA doesn't step in and say, okay, we'll just buy Telltale because they do make good games and we'll find a way to do it. Because it's probably not something that they're prioritizing. Maybe it's something that they don't feel fits their portfolio. Yeah, I think so. Honestly, I think I, it's also one of the reasons why indie development has like really boomed over the last 10 years. Because yeah. people being laid off, using their severance pays to second pay to actually start their own indie studios making their own games and it's been a boon for the game for the game industry because for the longest time like you had you used to have triple a a b c and then f tier not even d just i don't even to know f, what an f straight to trash is uh... just absolute trash games you know this the stuff this the stuff that you still see on steam that is clearly made in Unity with Unity assets. I, that is just I've always really wanted basic. this thing. And I, 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 it's really something I would love to dive into. And I don't know if people want to hear it, so maybe they should let us know. But I always wonder, if a game comes out and the game literally bombs in the reviews, I always wonder, like, as a developer working on this game... Don't they know that the game is going to bomb or don't they know that the game is, is going to be bad? And why do they still release it? I mean, I can understand contractual obligations and stuff like that. But like if you, let, let me put it this way. If you're on the Titanic and you see an iceberg and you know that you're going to hit that iceberg. You, and you know that if you act now and you course correct, you might steer away from the iceberg. But you're still not doing that. You're still heading straight at that iceberg. I always wonder... Why are you willingly heading directly towards that iceberg instead of saying, of course, correct and evade it? Do you mean big companies or do you mean indie developers? Both. Okay, so with big developers, they're always banking on that it's going to be a good game. But, um, you know, you can't predict anything and you can't, they just assume that it's going to be good. That's why they have like internal reviewers who review the game when it's close to launch to gauge what the metacritic is going to be for example yeah but with indie developers i think that the ones that make the really crappy ones do it on purpose just so they hope that they'll get enough attention that so that people will check it out or that people are stupid enough to think that the the game that they're that 
that they are advertising is a good game, buy it and then get duped by the fact that it's a really crappy game. Yeah, just and I, some I just, just really make want to crappy games for the purpose of making crappy games. I, I would love to get understand the thought behind that process. I don't know if there's any indie developers or game developers out there who uh, would like to talk to us about it. We are very willing to have you on the podcast. Um, so the last thing I want to touch on, I don't want to dive into it a lot because I think in, in the months to come, we're probably going to talk about it way more is that the last couple of weeks has been ridiculously, insanely, insanely crazy with people talking about, um, switch pro, uh, and the rumors around it, especially since Bloomberg recently had like think two or so articles about a a potential new switch coming out this year which um is rumored to have a seven inch oled screen uh the resolution the resolution of that screen would still be 720p um but the the the, the system on a chip would be a new chip from nvidia so not based on the tegra because the tegra is being phased out Specifically, the the Tegra chip that they're making for the Switch is being phased out um, by, I think, summer or something, around summer or fall this year. Um, There is also a recent patent for new Switch uh, Joy-Cons that have a proper D-pad on it, which would be really great because the the D-pad on Joy-Cons right now is kind of crappy because they're literally just buttons. Um, it's funny that they did it for the Switch Lite. Yeah, but I think because the because with the Switch Lite, you don't have you don't take off the controllers and you don't share it. The whole thing with the the Joy Cons is that they are mimicking regular controls, so that one person can hold a Joy Con, another person can hold the Joy Con, and then use that as a controller like this. So it would make sense to have them be buttons. Why do you have your Joy-Con with you right now? Because I have my Switch right right here. Because I'm playing Monster Hunter whenever I can. Okay. Which, ironically, has not been enough. Um, Not been a lot. Um, So if they're redesigning it for that reason, they probably have figured out a way to make the D-pad also work as buttons. But the way that it was designed in the patent put the D-pad on the top above the analog stick. So I'm not really sure what that is about. That just reminds me of the design from the the Wii U gamepad. Um, Other than that, uh, here's the the reason why I don't really want to get into it that much. I said this, I think, about more than six months ago, is that we're currently in fiscal year 2020. It's about to finish. Specifically, the day this episode comes out is uh, the last day of the fiscal year for Nintendo and a lot of Japanese uh, developers. Um, because in in Japan, like spring is when they usually start stuff. Like April is when schools start in Japan, stuff like that. So it makes sense for them to, if they were to announce something about a new system that is coming out in that fiscal year of 2021, it would be after March. And that includes stuff like, um, because 30 to 
today, if you're listening to this when this episode goes live, this is the last day you can buy Super Mario All Star 3D All Stars digitally in the eShop. So if you haven't gotten it, get it now or be ready to pay a lot of money for the physical copy. Um, this is also the last day if you're a, 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 a Fire Emblem fan. Fire Emblem, the first, the original game that came out on uh, Famicom, that digital version is also leaving today on the 31st. So okay. as of April 1st, those two games are not available on the eShop. Today is the very last day that you can play Super Mario 35 online before that service gets shut down. So everything with the Super Mario 35th anniversary is going away after today, after the 31st of March. From April 1st, it is open season for Nintendo to announce a bunch of stuff, including stuff for the 35th anniversary of Zelda, the 35th anniversary of Metroid. Um, Pokemon, the Pokemon company already started off with announcing a bunch of stuff for this year in terms of Pokemon's 25th anniversary. It's Donkey Kong's 40th? No. Enough with the anniversaries already. There's just a bunch of stuff that Nintendo has on their plates that I'm pretty sure we're going to get an announcement of after April 1st. So look forward to whatever they're going to do there. I'm assuming that if they have anything in terms of hardware to announce, we're going to have some like starting hints from Nintendo starting from April. Happy days. So I'm just waiting for that to happen. So you can buy a new Switch. No, so I can figure out what's going to happen. And buy a new Switch. Sure, whatever. You're just, I mean, <laughs> let's be honest. You, if a new Switch comes out, you'll buy it. One, because your old Switch pretty dented up and old and whatever. And secondly, it's a new Switch. Yeah, maybe. I mean, if they wrap a <laughs> banana and put the Switch label on it, you'll probably buy it. Hey, 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 hey. Sony's the one that is using bananas for controllers, man. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> with, that, uh, with that, we've uh, come to the end of this segment. Probably stick around for the next one. And we're back with the second segment, which is, of course, what we've been playing. Sean Templer, what have you been playing? Um, so as people know, I have gotten a Switch. So I've been, <laughs> I've been looking at options for that. Um, I, got, uh, I know that phys- uh, Hades got a physical release this week or last week. So I had pre-ordered it and I got it in the mail. Uh, and I've played a couple of hours of Hades. Um, it was already available digitally on the Switch and on the PC, uh, but I thought it was really nice to have it as a physical copy. Um, I'm liking the game so far. It's a roguelike game. I think you can compare it to something like Diablo. Mm-hmm. Um, I normally don't play roguelikes, but this one got so many great reviews. It won Game of the Year at the BAFTAs last week. Um, in the, in the, the American Game Awards, it has also won some pretty big awards. So... Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's a great game, and you can really notice that. I love the art style, I love the, the graphics, I love the voiceovers and the humor. Basically, you're the son of Hades, the the world, the god of the underworld, and you're trying to escape the underworld. 
And your father is aware that you're trying to do that, but he's like, yeah, I don't really care because you're not going to be able to escape the underworld. Um, and so you have, basically, it's just randomized dungeons every time uh, and you try to get through it. I seem to get my ass kicked by the boss every time. So there's this one boss I get to and she kicks my ass every time. But that's, I think, the, the fun of these games because you die, you come back, you have some experience or some a weapon that you've been able to upgrade through getting through all those dungeons. So the more you play it, the better you will get at it and the, the stronger you will get as a character. So increasing the odds to, you know, defeat that boss or maybe get further. Um, I mean, I, I would recommend it to people if they're looking for something new. It's a really fun game. I think it's like uh, 30 bucks on the PC and on the Switch. Um, so mm-hmm. that's not it's not even a crazy amount of money. Besides that, I have been playing um, Warzone and Call of Duty still, but, you know, that's still the same. Um, still getting a lot of uh, sh- being called names by people when they lose or when they uh, <laughs> when they win. I mean, that's so that's so, just so, so strange about Call of Duty that we always get matched make with either english people french people sometimes germans and sometimes spanish but mainly the english and the german people or uh, mainly the english and the french people and i don't know why but if we always play for example cyber attack so that's five rounds if you get killed in one round you die you don't have a respawn your teammates can revive you basically it's capture a bomb plant it on the enemy's base and hope you win by either killing the whole team or by having the bomb explode. And what we often get is is that we play against people from, for example, the UK. And then uh, you and always I don't know why, but it always happens. So either you lose a round and they start trash talking, or you win a round and they start trash talking. <laughs> <laughs> So it's just trash talking. It's always trash talking. And they said, they, so the people we play with, I mean, you don't pick the people, you just get randomly matchmaked with them. It's some pretty nasty, gnarly stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow, this is pretty. And I'm like, I'm fortunate enough. Like, I play with a, with a team that's, that's pretty well, they're pretty good. And they certainly know how to say stuff back i mean there's even a, a person in there who's like really annoying but like so annoying that he gets under your skin yeah. so like he says he says, he says stuff like okay bye-bye now you're bad okay bye and he just keeps on repeating stuff like that or just suddenly he just randomly says something to someone in the other team and that person just freaks out i mean it's it's psychological warfare they say this of course to kind of uh, get you off focus so you play bad but like sometimes he just says stuff randomly out of the blue yeah. and then it just shocks you completely and then you just yeah you just have to laugh you know um i think it's it's one of the things that make call of duty call of duty um so it, that i mean that's fun um I, I play some warzone as well i like the rebirth island which is a smaller map um it gives us some more chances to win so that's nice um, I bought Formula One 2020 the other day, so I've started a season in that. I just played it for like a couple of hours. Um, is that the version from last year? Okay. Yeah, the, this year's version has come out yet. And um, there's a new mode called My Team. So basically, there in Formula One, there are 10 teams on the grid, 20 drivers. Basically, you're the 11th team on the grid. 
you start your own team, you choose an engine supplier, you choose your teammate, sponsor. So, but, so basically, you're managing the team and driving the team at the same time, which is really nice. Um, my first race was in uh, the first race of the season is always Australia. I managed to come in, I think, ninth in the race. So I get like two points. Um, yeah, I mean, like when, when you're a, a beginner's team, there's no way you're going to get like a podium or stuff like that. I mean, I think that's the fun part of the game that you 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 gather experience points and you can invest those in your car. And you can improve the car. So hopefully maybe towards the end of the season or maybe in another season, you'll be able to to be at the front of the midfield or maybe even get uh, close to a podium. Um, these things take time, but, you know, that's, I guess, the fun of the game that you just have this drive to get better at it and improve the car to the point that you start winning. I mean, I could, I, before I started the game, I was like, oh, you know what? I'll just pick Ferrari because that's my favorite team. And then I saw the my game, my team option. I was like, oh yeah, I totally forgot. This is new this year. Um, so I chose that. Um, yeah, I think I'm going to do another race tonight. So I'll try, I'm going to try to do a couple of races every week so I can get through the season faster mm-hmm. and see what happens. Um I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. Um, I've been playing a little bit of Breath of the Wild, a little bit of Animal Crossing, but that's just like so basic. It's not nothing new there. I'm just thinking if I played anything on, a, on my PS4 or PS5. Yeah, there's this game called Vigor, which I've been uh, been playing with a, f- a couple of friends, which is basically like uh, Escape from Tarkov, which is a PC game. Um, so it is a... Um, you create a character, it's it's multiplayer only, and then you match make into games with other players, and then you don't have anything. So it's like resource gathering. Mm-hmm. And uh it's PvP, so uh you have to gather resources, you have to you can collect guns. Um and, and how it works is, is there's this it's set in Norway, there's this radio r- radioactive cloud, which is basically the circle, like in Battle Royale games, and you have X amount of time to scour the map and collect your resources, maybe engage with other players and extract so you can uh, use those resources to improve your base or craft new weapons. Um, It's made by Bohemia Interactive, which people might know from the Arma games or Operation Flashpoint. I just don't know if if they're putting a lot of time and resources into it. it's a it's a fun game. It's I don't know if it's still free. I was able to get it for free from the PlayStation Store. Um, it's um it's a pretty intense game because um, it's it's so quiet sometimes. You can only hear your other footsteps, and then sometimes suddenly out of the blue you get shot, and then you either die or not. I mean, uh, one of the first matches we played, I saw an uh, an enemy on a on a hill, and I wasn't sure. So I said to a friend of mine, like. I don't know for sure if that's an enemy or not. And then we were looking at it. And before we know it, we both got shot and killed. And <laughs> and if you die, you lose all your resources, unless yeah. you take like an insurance or something like that. Um, it, it's a fun game. Um, it, it's fun to play with friends. I wouldn't recommend playing it alone. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it it's something new. I mean, Escape from Tarkov is PC only. And I think if, if games like that would come to, to come to consoles, it would make really nice because... You know that that tension, that excitement. Should I collect more resources or should I extract and secure the resources I already have? It's that gamble you always have to make and take. Um, that and I think that's basically it. I haven't been able to play long because yeah, I'm I'm still in my game dip. I'm trying to slowly get out of it. 
Maybe it will get better over the coming weeks, but basically that. Yeah. All right. So what have you been playing? Uh, well, I've I've been doing the dailies on uh, on Animal Crossing again, uh, still. Um, not again, but still. Um, but mostly I've been just antip- anticipating the launch of Monster Hunter Rise, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so when it finally came out, I was so happy. The only downside is that I had to work a lot. Um, so I've only had like a couple of hours to play. Um, that game is so gosh darn beautiful. Like seriously, I mean, I know that I have to drop the qualifier as a switch game. It's like really pretty. And it is the first time we're seeing RE engine on switch being used like properly outside of the Capcom arcade, um, collection thing. And the game is just gorgeous. Like the the environments are pretty, the animations look clean, uh, the image quality is solid, the frame rate is solid, which is saying a lot for Monster Hunter because that series has never had great frame rate. Um, despite that, apparently people still love the game, including myself. <laughs> but this has been the game that has probably had the most stable frame rate that I've ever played. In the series, which is, again, like I said, saying a lot. Um, I tried to play the demo, but I just can't. I mean, um, what did you yeah. say? Uh, you said that the demo isn't friendly, user-friendly for new players. I mean, like, yeah. I played it for 10 minutes. And I was like, mm, no. Yeah, so I that's uh, I, on, you know, later in, like, on, on hindsight, I do realize that playing the demo as, like, this is the first time you're ever playing Monster Hunter is not a good way to experience Monster Hunter unless you are specifically playing with people that know what Monster Hunter is and can explain to you the mechanics while you're playing. The game itself has, like, they already improved on how to tutorialize stuff in Monster Hunter uh, 4, in Monster Hunter Generations, and in World, but I feel like they've stepped, they've kicked it up a notch again with rise and i feel that rise especially with a bunch of quality of life improvements that they made in rise that makes it probably the more um big newcomer friendly version of the game so if you've never played a monster hunter game before i would recommend picking up rise if it's your first time and picking it up without worrying that you'll be overwhelmed with all the systems because they piecemeal out the, the the systems with how you play. So if you're diving, you know, head first into a bunch of stuff, you'll get a bunch of tutorials that, ex- that are explaining everything, which is great. Um, I... Uh, Basically, I'm still doing the early stuff. And, you know, it's one of those games that really gets going after the credits roll. So I haven't reached that point yet. Not even close. Um, But I have played a few online sessions with uh, one of my best friends. And if you've played Monster Hunter World, you'll recognize the system, but that it's improved. So in Monster Hunter World, I don't know if you remember it, but you had these things called SOS flares where if you were playing a game, you could send out one of those flares and have people assist you during your hunt. I've, uh, those are, yeah, I know those, yeah. 
So in Rise, you can uh, you can put your hunt session online in the hub and say like, okay, I'm playing online, and this session is open to other people to join. What that means is when I go to the hub and I want to um, and I want to do a specific uh, quest. I can either play with my friends as is, mm-hmm. I can play alone, or I can look for a session that is already in play and join that. Not only that, should for some reason my connection get lost for whatever reason, and okay, that was literally the sound, <laughs> the literally sound from Fortnite, like. You know when you're drinking a oh uh, really a she- sorry yeah. <laughs> I'm just drinking water I can't help it <laughs> oh man it sounded like he was shielding up um uh, yeah so if your connection gets lost for whatever reason because you know a switch is a portable console so connection might get lost you can rejoin the hunt that you were in. So if you, for some reason, lose your connection, you can rejoin, you can look up that quest and be like, oh, I want to rejoin this quest. And you can jump back into that quest. Your spot does not get um, given away to someone else who's playing, which is a really cool feature to have, especially on a system like the Switch. So So if you have a buddy, even if you don't have a buddy, just put your, if you're doing like online quests, just say, hey, I want people to be able to join. Let's join. Let's play and just have fun. And you can do amazing hunts. And we were, there, there was this one hunt that we lost and we did it again. And we were like, okay, this, this is, the, this is the grudge match. This is the revenge match. Eventually we got two other Japanese players to join us. And you know, you know, the Japanese players are like really good at what they do. And we were just wailing on this monster called Ak 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 Ah, good grief. What is that called again? Ak Ak Aknosom, sorry. Good grief those names sometimes. Aknosom. We were wailing on this bird. And then we won. We were like, yes, we were fist pumping. Or at least I was fist pumping. I'm assuming my buddy was also fist pumping, and I'm assuming that uh that uh, that the other players on the other side of the world were also fist pumping <laughs> <laughs> we were all fist pumping it, it's my story it's my story we were fist pumping but like you know what the, the tricky part about this is like hearing this gets me super excited but then when i play the game i'm like Man. that's why i say you need a sensei i will be your sensei just pick it up we'll play it we'll have a lot of fun if if need be comes push comes to shove i will Set up my my living room so that I, so that we can stream your experience. I don't care, but dude, we have to get you onto Monster Hunter Rise, man. It's fun. It's fun. I I guarantee you, if we play together, you will you will not regret it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I told you this before. I think I might wait until somebody buys the game and it's like. Oh yeah, this is not the game I was thinking to be. I'll just sell it off for cheap and then I'll just buy it secondhand because I don't know if I can. If I want to spend 60 bucks on it, not knowing if I will, I don't want to be that guy that says, oh no, it didn't turn out to be as I expected. Let me sell it off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay taking advantage of it, but I don't want to be the victim of it. 
Oh, 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 oh. I, I'm being the Goliath now instead of the David. Uh-huh. Oh, we're bringing that back again? Okay. I, I I don't know. We could. Mm, yeah, well, that I'll leave that up to you. But, uh, yeah, that's basically it. If I have more to talk about, I'll talk about it. I know that I think ending of April is when they're dropping the first... Uh, the, the first DLC, not DLC, but the first um, content update which introduces at least one new monster, which is this chameleon-looking jerk who can actually, like, uh, camouflage themselves. So that's going to be interesting to hunt. And uh, the the thing that I always look forward to, and they do this, they've done this for a really long time since um, they could up update their content online. So basically since the... Uh, since the, 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 the Gosh darn it, the PSP days yeah. is um, they always have a collaboration with Universal Studios Japan, and those armor sets and weapon sets are so gorgeous. I love them. They're pretty and they're cool. Um, I hope I'm assuming and I'm hoping that we have another one this time i missed out on some of it in monster hunter world which i still regret to this day um but i it was okay it's not the prettiest one that they've had to be fair like in my opinion at least the at least for the, the for for your um feline it looked really pretty but for like the hunter itself it was it was fine it was fine i, I still think that the the usj collaboration that they did in Monster Hunter 4 Ultimate, if I'm recalling it, it's either Ultimate or Generations. Ultimate had, like, the best USJ collaboration, in my opinion. It was really pretty. It was, like, this blue and gold stuff. So I hope that the USJ collaboration that they have in Rise, I'm assuming, um, will be at least on that level of pretty. But they have pretty awesome armor sets that I've seen so far that I can make. Um, I haven't seen all of them because I haven't... I haven't gotten all the monsters yet, so here's hoping that the, all the other monsters in the in the future are gonna be like gonna give some really sweet uh, armor and weapon sets. I heard that uh, you can get through the single player to put it that way pretty fast, but that the end game is pretty expensive. Uh, expensive in oh expansive. Yeah, I thought you said expensive. I was about to say like no, 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 no. Context. Yeah, because like the title updates are free. Um, the question is, of course, will they do another like Iceborne thing or will they just bring out a new version and call it the ultimate version like they did in the past? I don't know. Um, I'm assuming that since they did Iceborne, we're never going to get like that kind of Monster Hunter again where they just re-release the game with the G-Rank stuff um, because with, with Iceborne, they did the G-Rank stuff in Iceborne. Uh, so if people are waiting for the G-Rank stuff, wait until, I guess, a year from now when they do the DLC. And uh, yeah, we'll get the G-Rank stuff and get like the really difficult monsters and subspecies and whatnot. So yeah, so uh, that's it. Um, normally, this would be the end of the episode, but we actually have a third segment which uh, we will introduce uh, after this short break. So stick around.
So welcome back to our third segment. So normally this would be a uh, hidden gem, but we usually only do those when we have a guest. So we decided to do a Q&A, and a couple of days ago on Instagram, we put up uh, a post saying, like, hey, if you have any questions for us, uh, leave them in, and we'll try to answer them. Um, I have a few. Maximilian has a few. Shall we start off with yours? Sure. So one of the questions that we were that, that we got was, uh, are you guys going to do videos also? And <laughs> I guess I mean, we've, <laughs> it's something that we've teased for so long, but we haven't really had the opportunity to do so um and the time because things also cost time um and we haven't really figured out what we'd be doing it on at the very least we do want to upload a video version of the uh, of the, these episodes of of game rivals um uh, as well as like upload stuff from our from our older episodes I don't know if we want to do all of them, but <laughs> but there it is. Um, so that these people have the option to also watch that on YouTube, uh, watch slash listen on YouTube if they want to. Um, we might be able to do something like that, especially since the platform that we use, Sendcaster, has the ability to record video at the same time. It's just some of us uh, do not have up-to-date equipment to make that work properly and the <laughs> one time that we actually and the one time that we actually tried to use it by in another way um we had technical difficulties which basically rendered the video part of it completely unusable so yeah if we if we, if we I, I mean it's something we're working on and we, it's we definitely want to do it on. yeah and if we have more then we can finally share more um but yeah, that's just a work in progress as is. Yeah. And uh, the other question that I have here is probably a, a really good one because um, I, I, when I saw it, I was like, oh, that's actually quite interesting. Is name one of the most memorable games you have played, which surprised you in a good way. That's a really good question and a really difficult one to answer. Do you have one? Uh, I... <sighs> I do, but at the same time, it's like, well, if you've listened to this episode, if you've listened, to, not this episode, but if you've listened to this podcast, if you're following me on Instagram. Is it Secret uh, of Mana? It, it would be, but there's another more memorable game that I, uh, I want to talk about um, that surprised me in a good way. And that has to be um, Final Fantasy Tactics. What? Yeah, because, again, like, imagine yourself, right? You're in the 90s, right? You've yeah. at least played a Final Fantasy game. Yeah. Maybe Final Fantasy VII for some weird reason. No. But maybe you're a little bit older and you played something older, like Final Fantasy I or the the western final fantasy 2 or the america only final fantasy 3 um if you're in europe the first and only final fantasy that you played was my final fantasy mystic quest and i really do feel sorry for those europeans that had that be their first experience because it's kind of really crappy <laughs> <laughs> it was the first and only game made by square enix usa and was made specifically for a western market or specifically for the U.S. market, 
because they thought that regular JRPGs were too difficult and that Western people, i.e. American players, were too stupid to play and understand JRPGs. So they dumbed down the Final Fantasy formula to, like, its most bare bones. <laughs> and, yeah, it's not that great. If that was your introduction to Final Fantasy in Europe, I feel really sorry for you. Um, luckily for me, that was Final Fantasy VI, so, you know, yay for me. Um, but, no, Final Fantasy Tactics was the first time I played a uh, strategy JRPG. And I didn't know what to make of it when I played it for the first time because I played it at my cousin's place. He had it. And he was like, here, this, there's the, try and play this Final Fantasy. I'm like, okay, but I want to play 7, but whatever. And I was like, what is this? This looks like chess. And then I started playing it. And the first thing, um, I started playing with him. So we were playing a file that he was already in. So he had way more advanced magics and tactics and stuff. And um, you're able to control each in, each individual character as you do in a strategy RPG. But the most fun about Final Fantasy Tactics that surprised me is that it references a lot of stuff from up until that point in history in Final Fantasy. So you ha you could recruit, for example, um, if you have the job... Uh, Good grief, what was that job again? Uh, was it Geo? No, not Geomancer, because um, I forget the job that you can do. Like, you can, it basically it adopted the, the Final Fantasy V job system, so you can have a bunch of different jobs, and one of them is being able to um, recruit monsters, so capture monsters, recruit monsters to play for you, so you could actually have chocobos playing on your side you can capture bow bombs or not uh, bow bombs sorry that's mario you can capture bombs you can capture cac towers and a bunch of other monsters and have them play for your side which is really cool so it surprised me in a good way in the sense that i had never played a, a strategy jrpg it was before i ever even knew about fire emblem so and it was before i knew about Tactics Ogre and Ogre Battle, which were on the Super Nintendo and on PlayStation and on N64. And it was by the same makers of those games. So it was really fun for me, and it surprised me in that way. And I really wish they would make a proper sequel to that franchise. Unfortunately, what they did was they went in a different direction and I do not like talking about those games that came out on the on the Game Boy Advance and on DS, um, and to a lesser extent, Final Fantasy XII. But Final Fantasy Tactics, the original on PlayStation, and to some extent, the remake on PSP, yeah, that surprised me in a good way. I really, really like those game, uh, uh, that game, and. Uh, uh, I liked it so much that my cousin was like, you know what, You're, you keep borrowing this game from me, just take it. I played it, I finished it, just take it and play it. Unfortunately, it was in a time where I didn't have a PlayStation memory card. Oh, no. <laughs> so every time when I played it, I literally started from the beginning and I kept playing from the beginning. So I know the, be like, the, first, the first chapter and a half by heart and I can 
max out my uh, my levels and be and so when I finished the game for the first time, I was a little OP. So uh, so yeah, <laughs> it was it was such a crazy time. I uh, uh, didn't have a memory card for the whole PlayStation One generation. No, seriously. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that's crazy. I mean, I didn't have it for like a really long time. I didn't get a PlayStation memory card until. I want to say 2001, 2000, but yeah, 2000. I think That's like a really long time, time unless yeah, you got the PS1 late. Because the no, PS1 I got it in, came... nine, I get it in 1997. So you played for three or four years without a memory card? Yep. Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, so that that's the game that uh, the that's at least one of the most memorable games. Of course, the other one is Secret of Mana. We already um, know about that guys, one, but we already know about that. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that, that that that's at least the the two memorable ones for me. Yeah. I think for me it would be, I think it would be the first MGS Metal Gear Solid One on the PS One. It's my favorite game of all time because I didn't know what to expect going into that game. And I, I remember I was pretty young at the time, so I didn't understand a lot of what I was playing. And then, and in some cases, I mean, that game did so many things differently at the time. I mean, it had voiced cutscenes, which was it was almost like a movie. It had the the Merrill codec on the back of the CD box. It had the part where you had to swap discs, and I didn't know how to do that, so I turned my PlayStation off. Because I was always taught you can never open the disk drive when it's on. You always have to turn the PlayStation off. So I would turn the PlayStation off to put the second disk in, start it up, and then it would say, no, but you can't continue. This doesn't work that way. And I'm like, eh, why doesn't this work? I mean, it, the game tells me to put in the second game disk, and it, it doesn't work. Why? And then I gave up eventually, and I spoke to a friend. He said, no, you have to open the disk drive, take out the CD, put in the other CD while it's on, and then keep on playing. But I said, like, won't that damage the PlayStation? They're like, no, 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 no. It doesn't matter. And then after days, I figured that out. And I could put in the disc and then play on. And that, that, that epic battle with Metal Gear Rex. And then you had the stupid part where you would get captured by Revolver Ocelot. And you had to do the button bashing game. And if you gave up, then Meryl would die at the end. But if you won, you will get Meryl and then be like the hero that rode off into the sunset with the with the damsel of distress. It was it was an amazing experience. I mean, I've I've finished that game and all the other games multiple times in the series. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I love it. But I think that was because I didn't know what I was getting into when I started that game. It surprised me so much and um it is still a game just that I can just go back to often. I mean, I, I hooked up my PlayStation Classic couple of weeks ago and i just played a little bit of metal gear and was all happy again (laughs) yeah nice yeah all right next question uh oh we're doing this one at a time i thought we'll do all your questions at once in their mind those were all my questions oh but did i miss the other one no i said i had two questions but one was, what is your most memorable... Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Wow, yeah, the one was video. Ah, <laughs> I'm having those blackouts again. Um, okay, so stay, I... Stay with me, stay with me. I have... Will you guys ever do live reactions on game-related announcements? Well, um, live... Re- yeah, I mean, that kind of ties into the video thing. Um, it's partially time. It's also partially timing, because if you... 
follow stuff like Nintendo Directs, there's those things get announced literally 24 to 48 hours in advance. Oh, but so, I think you did one after the direct uh, of the the latest direct. Well, that wasn't a live yeah reaction, more a you recap. Know, recap. You know, I had some time to think about it. I used to do live reactions, um, but the problem with that, well, not problem, but the challenge with that is having having to set up for it and making sure that I'm at least recording my reaction appropriately and then having to edit it later in the video to make sure that that all works. I don't have a pipeline for it. Um, I'd have to set that up for myself. I don't know about Sean, if you would be willing to do that. If if I if I have a pipeline to set it up for whenever there's uh, something to react to, I am more than happy to do it. Um, in terms of doing it live on stream, that also would would require like a few upgrades on my end to be able to do that. Um, but again, that is also something that I would love to do because that sounds like a lot of fun. Um, it also sounds, you know, unless the announcements are really boring, then it could also be really boring. At least in a video format, um, you can always edit out the boring stuff and only focus on the fun reaction. <laughs> so I always, yeah. I've, I've, I've never done it myself. I don't know if I'm the kind of type that would do it, but I always think it's funny when I see those kinds of videos. Sometimes developers do like, um, uh, you see it in a, in a in a presentation how people respond. For example, when The Last of Us was announced, and then yeah. people go all out and they're crying and whatnot. And I always wonder, like, why are people crying? I mean, I understand that they're crying off of happiness or something, but like, I've never had that. I'm like, I, I'm trying to understand why they would do this, <laughs> and for me, it just doesn't make sense. I'm like, I I just cannot comprehend why you are crying right now. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, some people cry. Some people get super hyper, like uh, YouTuber, Switch, tw uh, Twitcher, uh, Roger Space. He uh, he does live reactions for for like games and stuff, and and he like he has a reputation of being super excited to the point that he now has, I uh, not now, but he has for a while now has had a pillow that he calls, I think, Pillow Chan or whatever, where he screams into <laughs> when he gets super-duper excited. Okay, that sounds um, Because funny. he gets, like, really loud when he, when, he's, when, he, when he gets excited and screams about a certain announcement. That's nice. He's, like, real, like, he's really excitable. It's really fun to see. Nice. Um, yeah, he's, like, but, like, yeah. It, so... I don't know if our reactions would be interesting to see live. Um, some might argue that mine would, but I don't know. I mean, those, I those think are some it, people. Yeah, I think it would because I think we are both excited in our own ways and you are more expressive about it than I am. Mm. So um, I don't know if if it would be entertaining to watch me do what like I that. I mean, I you would go up and down and bounce out of your chair out of excitement. Yes, this is the weird kind of expectation that people have about me, which is not true. But I have seen your videos, and because you because you do it in a certain way, that expectation is automatically created because you get so passionate about stuff. And then people like because now people can only hear us; they can't see us. So, like yeah. it's like when you're reading a book, and then you kind of 
paint the picture in your head while reading the book. It's yeah, the yeah. same like this. Like the mm. like you're super passionate about uh, Secret of Mana, and the people were like, "Oh, if they were to announce a proper sequel to the game, and it'd be like true to form and blah blah blah." Then you would probably people would say like, See? "Oh, he'll probably have a flatline and just drop out of his chair out of excitement or something like that," you know. See, for that, I would shed a tear. Like, a proper Secret of Mana remake, not that trash that they released on PlayStation 4, I would probably shed a a decent amount of tears out of happiness. Well, yeah. So, like, that's, I think that's the filling it in, painting the picture in your brain part. Whereas with me, they're like, yeah, probably just a laid back uh, guy, you know, like, oh, okay. You know, stuff like that. <laughs> that is honestly, that is what I imagine your reactions would be. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I don't think it's off. I mean, like, I get excited, but it's more like an an internal excitement. Yeah. So I won't go like, yeah, whoa. I, I'm not that kind of person, but uh, who knows, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. at least until you get the podium on uh, F1, then, uh, you know, you break out the champagne. Yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> that's always nice. Uh um, let's see. Another question would be how long will Nintendo keep the Switch before releasing a, no- a new console? And in this case is not the Switch Pro. So I think like mm. uh the successor to the Switch, what comes after, not like a a hardware revision what the Switch Pro will probably be, but more like a a Switch 2 to put it that way or whatever they'll call it. Mm, okay, so here's the thing with, about that, right? So um, the president of Nintendo, Furukawa-san, uh, has stated that the Switch itself is in the middle of its life cycle, mm-hmm. which is its fourth year, by the way, because this past March 3rd, it was the fourth anniversary of the Switch launch. Okay. So if that's the way they're looking at it and they they still say that they still have more stuff to do with Switch... I'm assuming revisions are in order. Um, they're also talking about different SKUs, like, for example, the Monster Hunter yeah. uh, edition and the Mario edition and the the, the, the Animal Crossing edition. You know, different editions mm-hmm. also count towards that. Any other revisions, like a Switch Pro or a Super Nintendo Switch, which is, I feel, like a way more fun name, because that harkens back to the Super Nintendo days, or Super Switch, or whatever they want to end up call, calling it, just not new Nintendo Switch because then I'm going to slap someone. That will probably be the name. I'm going to slap someone. Good luck with that. Uh, <laughs> you can't do it now in the COVID era. Oh, I can slap someone. It's just not very polite to do so. Um, but if it, if we're talking about the next thing, I think in like three years from now, maybe, because the console generations have shifted from five years to seven years now. But the question is, if you're saying the next thing, do you mean that they will step away from making a hybrid console and make something more traditional? Because I don't think that they're, at this point, I don't think that even if they were to bring out something completely new, that they would ever step off from the hybrid concept. The hybrid know. concept, I think, is here to stay. They might make a separate stationary stuff, like they did with the the handheld only Switch Lite. I don't know. I mean, but, I think, I I think it it has to do with which direction do they want to go in. Is it 
do they want to keep becoming the keep being this underdog slash indie machine slash we're just doing our own thing and we don't care about the rest or is it more like okay but with form comes power so if we go to a traditional box like an xbox or a playstation we can include more power and i don't think nintendo will do proprietary stuff they'll probably just do off-the-shelf parts because that's cheaper i think Mm -hmm. but uh, i know that nintendo always does proprietary stuff but um you know, eventually it has to be change point. So, like, if they want to go into the direction in which they're like, yeah, but now we want to fight against the other two, which they probably don't want to, then they'll have to go with the traditional box because that allows they, them more power. They stopped caring about that a long time ago. So I know, just, but... Like, at the very least, I will say this. Do not expect a traditional, like, console from Nintendo ever because they haven't done that since GameCube. And look at how that worked out for them in terms of GameCube. Because GameCube, this is something that I only recently found out. Apparently, GameCube sold wor- technically worse than the N64. And that already was not a popular system, apparently, in terms of Nintendo. Really? And I'm I'm thinking it's just like shy of a couple million. But it still stands to reason, right? So that's the last time they had a traditional console and the last time they tried to do a traditional console we ended up with the wii u gamepad yeah so i i don't i don't think i don't think so uh, if they're gonna do something there nintendo always tries to do something unique and off the beaten path that gets people's attention and is just fun in general something that gets people's attention that gets people talking and I don't think they viewed themselves as underdogs because they make plenty of money. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, in, in... In gamers' eyes, they might seem as an underdog, but in Nintendo's eyes, they just see the profit margin and that the profit margin is huge and that they're making money. So I think they're good. Yeah, I mean, if you... I don't want to go into it. <laughs> I just don't want to go into it. It's not the proper segment for we have to move on to the next Yeah, question. so another question would be, what do you think about Vigor, which is the game I mentioned uh, in my what I've been playing? Um, I basically said what I think about the game. So, uh, right. yeah. And now we come to a sensitive question. And I think before we answer this question, we need to clear something up. Well, I think it's best to, to state the question first before you make your statement. Well, I can do that. Okay. So the question is, what do you think of Gamer Girls? And um, I'm I'm just going to say it as it is. We have in the past on this podcast taken a very firm stance in which we condemn toxic male environments. We've talked about how things go at at Riot Games. We've talked about other developers in which... um, that there's a toxic male culture in which uh, female workers have less opportunities or basically bully their way or are constant victims of harassment um, and therefore have to just either quit the game industry or just leave the company they wanted to work at. I mean, we have, we're supporters of, of equal rights. We're supporters of equal career opportunities. I mean, there's, I, I, I never understood why there has to be like a gender thing here i mean we're all gamers 
we all love sharing our passion for games. Um, we all love if it allows for it coming together to play games, but in the current world, it's maybe a bit difficult. Um, so yeah, let us be very clear on this. That this is, and in the past was our stance and is still our stance. But I do feel that this is something that we need to address because it is turning into kind of like an elephant in the room. And it is almost like a taboo tub- subject to talk about because if you do and it's not in the lines that people expect, then you are labeled a female hater. You're you're labeled anti-feministic. Your your people try to cancel you or whatever. And I, I, I honestly would have said that's just a load of nonsense because we are all entitled to an opinion. It is freedom of speech at the end of the day. Yes, it is not. You don't. If you give your opinion, you have to do it in a in a way that doesn't necessarily offend someone personally, because that's not what we want. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I do think we should address the question. Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, you've already addressed it in a lot of ways, uh, and I I've just explained so, our stance on it. So. I mean, yeah, I mean our stance, but that also answers kind of the question doesn't it like if you're okay so i don't like that term i'm gonna be straight up and say that i don't like that term because it is like like at least back in the day when there were so few um like so few women not only in the games industry but also like gamers um you kind of use the qualifier because it's a rarity yeah and now with the you know with the proliferation of the internet and social media people can actually share their passion and for one gaming is not seen as is not seen as much at least by our demographic and as by a our guy thing age yeah. range as a guy thing it's just and also to a lesser extent also not as a nerdy thing cuz you know you have uh, professional foot, uh, American football players playing like video games and, you know, pro wrestlers playing video games and like being really passionate about it and, you know, expressing their nerd love. And then you have the posers that pretend to be like, Oh, we're into this now because we're cool and we're going with the trend people. I'm not going to say which ones I feel that there are like that because I know that there are some among them that are that were genuine genuinely nerds growing up um that are not posers um but i also know there are 100% um influential people and celebrities that pretend to be like oh we were nerds before <laughs> school yeah. no you are not you're pretending to be that and even if you ever played like pac-man or super mario brothers once upon a time as a kid that does not give you nerd cred but when we come to the to the question of female gamers, like the term gamer girl is something that I really that I'm pretty sure that most people have stepped away from, but it's still being used. I just say female gamers. Um I just say gamers in general. Or just gamers in general. Um I think the issue comes partially it's, it's just, from history, in which that maybe when you and I were growing up if you were playing games, it was not cool. It was either bad. You were nerdy in a bad way. You would, 
it, it kind of, it's kind of like that stereotype. The the cool high school dude is in at a football team and he gets all the girls and whatnot. And if mm-hmm. you're a, a nerd or a gamer, that's all you will never get. And I think it's because they, they slapped a label on it uh, in those days. Um, it, it I think people eventually with that label started to own up to it and said like, okay, you know what? If you slap this label on me, if I'm a nerd and it, it's a bad thing, then it's going to be my nerd world with all my nerd friends. And since we're all men, this is our, our little men's world, which we can escape into and do whatever we do. And as soon as I think female gamers in this case, because I have to point it out that way, started to come into that world, they felt threatened because they're like, yeah, but you always labeled us as nerds and geeks and we were bad. And now you're trying to be part of this. So I think it's like, it could be something that, I mean, th- that, and then I'm talking like way back, but because what you're seeing now is that, for example, is, is some kind of jealousy is that when you see that uh, a, a female gamer gets super popular uh, on, on a social media platform. For example, I saw a video the other day in which uh, a, a YouTuber was uh, streaming and then she, they all told her that either she was hacking or that she wasn't really playing, that someone else was playing and she was just kicking everybody's ass in Call of Duty. And like a lot of negative comments were like, yeah, you're, you're hacking or you're not playing this game. You're just a poser and someone else is playing this game. And then she had to resort to like a, a joystick camera in which there's a camera pointed at her hands while she's playing with the joystick just to be able to prove her point. Like, no, this is me kicking your ass in Call of Duty. I have this camera. Do you believe me now? And I mean, like that is so, so toxic, so petty yeah um not that i don't uh, agree with that but i i do want to go back to what you were saying about the past i think the past with the past um i don't think it was more like oh it's a boys club because i don't think i don't think gamers in general have ever had that mentality that it's a boys club that is something that the media um kind of basically labeled uh, us as like a boys club. They tend to do stuff like that. The 80s specifically weren't got, uh, kind to nerds and gamers to begin with in terms of representation. So yeah. um, I think it's more that, and, and especially back, back in the day, like if you, if there was a, if there was a girl in your class or a girl, you know, who played video games like street fighter, dude, she was like worth gold, especially if she was good. People like flock to that kind of stuff because it's a rarity. And um like a very good example in that is uh, is a is an anime that that's on Netflix called High Score Girl, which is about this which is about this guy in the early 90s in Japan in the arcade scene who um who basically finds a rival um, in this girl who is the same age as him, who just kicks everybody's butt because he's like, "Oh, I'm the best like Street Fighter player," and then he gets his ha- his ass handed to him by this girl um, who literally does almost never talks in the show, <laughs> <laughs> but that's because because of her upbringing because she's like from this rich. Uh, from this rich family and they're very strict in their upbringing and she's not allowed to do fun stuff. So 
her release is basically whooping dudes' butts in arcades nice. secretly, by the way, because her parents weren't in the know. Um, but I mean, that image, like that image of, um, oh, we are excluding girls from this is mostly portrayed by how literally how the media portrays it. And because the media and most people think that, oh, that's the truth. It's not, it, it never was. It's just that you don't hear a lot about it and you know, they can't be, you know, female gamers aren't being allowed to be vocal about it. Now, in terms of the current state of affairs, if you move away from that, people are now way more accepting and, and realize, oh, there are, uh, there are female gamers out there. Um, but they still don't get the respect that they deserve because a lot of people still have that stigma from the past, you know, that it is a guy's club, which it never was. Um, it is like this for kids thing, which again, it never was. It's yeah. just the portrayal of it that has warped people's minds. I will say this about the toxicity against uh, female gamers is that that probably comes from a point where they only played games with guys. So you get this. I mean, it's basically like literally with everything guy related, you create a bro culture, except with stuff like sports where it was exposed in gaming culture. It didn't start getting exposed until more recent years. And that's mostly because um, the bro culture with between guys in the gaming in the, in the in the gaming community was just accepted and in a um and in a, in a post pc uh gamer gate uh me too era these kind of things are brought to light way more and then you realize that oh it's not just something that's happened recently it's something that's been happening for a really long time but I must say that there is a flip side to that because I think that partial of that is also because what you'll see on certain social media is that, um, let me put it is like there are two categories. There are mm -hmm. the, the, the people that play games because you said they just like it and they're like basically like you and me. They just like games. They have a passion for games. But there's also the part, and I think that that might be the, the tricky part and where people might uh, get heated is that there are also the ones that are playing games and that they either pose or post stuff online in which they almost use their body or certain features to sell the idea that they're also playing games. And in some cases, that leads to them getting, for example, free stuff from others because they have huge followings. But at the same time, they're like saying, yeah, I get harassed by a lot of men. I get uh, unwanted messages and stuff like that. And then sometimes we get to the point where I'm like, yeah, okay, but you pose in such a way or you post create or post content in such a way that you're basically, you want that response because you want them to look at your content. You want them to like your content because the more your content is like, the bigger the chances you'll keep on getting free stuff from others. You are basically, um, how do you say that? You're, um, you're, uh, wow, I just can't come up with the word. Um, you're, you're, you're asking for attention. Yeah, well, you're basically 
um, trying to to create that reaction by by um, by doing that. I mean, I've seen it, and I'm like, really do do you have to do it this way? There are so many other ways as to how you can post or create content. I mean, like. If you do it, that's fine. But then don't go around saying like I get unwanted messages in my in my mail or or direct messages. I'm like you can't have one without the other. You you know when you post this type of type of content, it will create a certain reaction. And please then just don't go saying I hate men or men are disgusting or this or that because you can't have one without the other. It is unfortunate, but it is the way it is. You are basically provoked. That's what I want. Provoking. You're provoking. A response you know that you're gonna get. Mm, I'm gonna have to disagree with that one like a huge bit because for one, there are totally women, even if they don't post anything that is attractive in a certain way, yeah, they still get harassed. Believe oh definitely, but me. I'm talking about so, the ones that do it on purpose. That one okay, so for the ones that do it on purpose. I'm going to say that there are those that probably do it on purpose. I am also going to say that there are those that do it because it makes them feel good. Not in a way of getting attention or provoking them, but just because they feel good in their skin that they, you know, might pose in, well, not particularly a sexy way, but something that could be perceived by other people as sexy, because let's face it, there are some people that are freaks. Um, Definitely. That and those are the types of and those are the types of harassment that I think um, is worth worth talking about, right? Because that's just you know dudes being complete and total creepazoids. Yeah. And like even if they post the most mundane photo with themselves, um, like holding like a game or a console or whatever, like just mundane stuff. Mm -hmm. You'll still, they'll still get those creepy messages. Oh, definitely. But that's so, like those people I put in a category that are gamers, just like you and me, they have a passion for gaming and they share it. The part where I'm talking about is where people are, are willingly knowingly provoking. Like, as I said, there are two categories. The one you describe is the, in the category like you and me. And the one I mentioned is like, the provocative type, but that's in the idea of the the that's in the eye of the beholder, though. Yeah, but like that, it's that, not that's, that's you assuming that they do it that that they do it for that. I know that there are some that do it, but how do you discern from those that do it purposefully and those that don't? I understand what you're saying. Like one, for example. Um, it is how I experience it, and I know that others experience it as well. But the problem is, is it, it's something you cannot address. It is something you're not allowed to say because then, of, then automatically you are labeled anti-feminist, a women hater, or they try to cancel you. Whereas you're like, hey, but um, there are other people looking at this content as well. You, maybe this is not the right place to, to share this. I mean, like you are old and wise enough to think like oh yeah whatever but there are a lot of people other age groups and other people that are also watching it that might not have that filter built in and they're like whoa okay whoa that's something else that's uh you know how how to put it they don't have that filter built in yeah um 
yeah, this is, I mean, this can, we can continue to discuss this more and more. Um, but I will want to, I do want to leave it on this note. If, uh, if you're a female gamer, that's great. More power to you. Um, like, look, I don't care what you are, man. Dude, chick, it's all good to me. As long as you if share you like, a passion. If you, as long as you share a passion and if you're, and you're respectful to other people and, uh, you do not, uh, smack talk too, too much in dunking on people that you just Gave the biggest L <laughs> two. <laughs> it's fine by me. If I get my like, ass kicked, like, it's fine. But, uh, but uh, try, try, try to like take that W like with some dignity. <laughs> Just say, I don't care if you're a dude or a chick, man. But if you're if you're like like tea pa- tea bagging till there's no tomorrow, man. I don't, oh, I don't man. care, man. I will like block your ass. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean. Like, uh, I think we also, uh, um, I think you also agree with this. Like, this, uh, we're just two guys. And, um, like, we've, we, if there are other, um, if there are women out there who are listening to this, first of all, hi, welcome. Um, <laughs> I, I hope you enjoyed this episode so far. Um, and also, if you have your opinions on this particular topic, topic we would love to hear from you and if yeah. you are even willing to participate in this discussion with us uh, on an episode um please feel to contact us um we would love to have you on the show um we are i mean as you probably noticed uh since the start of this season uh we've been having uh, way more uh, special guests on so uh, we are still looking for more people to have on as like special guests uh be, be you dude, be you, be you lady. Um, I would love to have more female guests on so we can talk definitely. and generally have more diversity in the guest. But also, mm-hmm. like, I would love to get more perspective on this topic because, as you said, we are just two guys and maybe we are looking at it in a in a uh, too simple matter. I, I think that's why I, I only welcome having female guests on. But... Um, I do think it is something that we should be able to talk about without fearing for any repercussions or cancel culture, because I think only by talking about these subjects can we create more understanding for others and, you know, make it all better in general. But keeping it like a a taboo elephant in the room only makes things worse. And I'm always a huge uh, advocate for creating understanding. I mean, people don't have to agree with it as long as they understand it. I mean, that that's already a win. Um, and I mean, like for diversity's sake, I mean, it is, it is so nice to see that we are getting, that the gaming community in general is just getting bigger and bigger and all sorts of people from all countries, backgrounds, whatnot, just play games and share that passion. I mean, that is, I think that is one of the best things of, of gaming itself. It just brings people together. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that. Um, do we have any other questions left? Um, oh, yeah, one. Who's your favorite gamer girl? <laughs> oh, uh, I don't have a favorite. I, I don't, don't, neither do I. I, I don't, mean, yeah. If you're a cool gamer, you're a cool gamer. Yeah. I'm following you, but I don't like, like, the I don't same look at it as like a like, dude and a guy, uh, and a, uh, a guy and a woman. I don't look at which, it that way. I yeah, don't. which also brings me to the thing if I don't have like a favorite gamer, me neither. Um, there is one person, and that is because I, I admire her for what she's doing. There's a streamer called Sweet Anita. Uh, she's from the UK, mm-hmm. and she has Tourette's disease. 
And what I personally admire about her is I sometimes watch her streams is that regardless of her having Tourette's disease, and she says the most strangest and weird things, is that she has the courage to go online to either stream and play games. And she also does a lot of just chatting uh, on Twitch in which she just covers all sorts of topics. And it's not always game related. It's sometimes also deeper stuff. She also talks about her her condition and how she got diagnosed and things she she experienced and how she grew up and the things she went through. And I mean, when I saw that, I thought I, the first thing is, of course, you laugh because she says the most random stuff at the most random moments. And that's funny. And she knows it's funny. I mean, there's an, a video on our YouTube channel in which she gets a care package from Twitch in which she unboxes a switch and then she just throws the switch through the room and shouts all sorts of stuff because of her tics, because she has Tourette, which is just funny. But the fact that she's just so courageous that she just says like, hey, regardless of the situation that I'm in or this condition that I have, I'm going to stream and I'm just going to show other people that no matter what you have, if you have a passion, you can share it. I think that is just amazing. And I, I love seeing those things. Cool. Yeah. Um, okay, this is going to be a really weird, like I said, I don't have like a specific one that I'm like, oh, this is my favorite. Um, but I was not, well, recent as in like in the past year was introduced to this, uh, this, this, this Twitch streamer, uh, who does like recaps on his YouTube channel. It's called Maximilian Dude. Oh, um, wow. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, spelled spelled differently, by the way. Spelled differently. His, his is spelled with an I. Mine is spelled with an E. Okay. And Mac, and I think Maximilian is actually his real name. So, um, but like he does mostly like fighting fighting game related stuff, and like he's a big fan of Final Final Fantasy Seven. So, whenever Final Fantasy Seven remake stuff came out, he was doing streams and stuff and i will i watched some of his recap streams and some of um recap videos sorry of or some like um just rewatching like streams that he did about it or fighting game stuff and he's a he's a he's a fun guy to watch uh he has like he has like some exaggerated like um expressions sometimes well, sometimes all the time and he's really passionate about Final Fantasy VII. It's like really cool to see uh, his stuff. So I watched those those things, but th again, that doesn't mean that like he's my most favorite because there's other gamer stuff that I watch. Um, I was talking about like Rogers Base before with the reactions. Um, uh, Gamer stuff, I tend to mostly stick to YouTube and yeah, me really too. watch Twitch, but that is also kind of drying up. And the funny thing is, is I watch Twitch more like if, if I know someone that's streaming, yeah. I like to watch their streams because it's a person you know or you've spoken to and it makes it more fun to watch those streams instead of just to randomly look up a game and watch someone who's streaming that uh, at the time. Yeah. So, I mean... It, yeah, I, I, there's some that I that I watch here and there, and my 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 uh, my best friend has, has tried to get me into watching Twitch, but I it's a timing thing, and most popular Twitch streamers are like US, so the time zones kind of get in the way. I don't watch popular streamers because there's just so I don't know. I like watching smaller streamers because it's it feels more personal because you 
at least get a chance to talk to them. Whereas with yeah. with popular streamers that that if I look at how their chat goes, I just get like <laughs> disoriented because it's like a machine gun of, of of chat going on. I'm like, holy crap! Okay, I'm gonna uh, I'm also gonna say this. Twitch chat is also one of the reasons why I'm intimidated by by streams like from big streamers is because you can't get a word word in edgewise and some twitch chats can be really toxic and it's not something that i like to see or be a part of so that's one of the reasons that's one of the reasons why uh i don't really watch at least from the big ones unless it's uh, the the content that they make is interesting or fun um or if i've seen about followed them for a while but it all it is also kind of part of the part of the streaming experience that I do miss because it's because when I was streaming like Splatoon back in the day, it was really fun because I had like a dedicated audience of like, I think five people, <laughs> but those are the fun ones, right? <laughs> but, but it was fun. Like they, they'd always come when I was streaming and I had a streaming schedule to what, to, to a certain extent. And, um, yeah, I, I get the appeal from being a streamer. Uh, and I just, I just don't have one that I, I would say like is my favorite. I Maybe in the future, yeah. but yeah, <laughs> I think that's about it. That's about it. Um, thank you, everybody, for submitting your questions. Um, I, I like the variety in the questions, and I, I think that, uh, as I said before, I think we should be able to talk about certain things, even though it's a sensitive subject, because we it can only get better from that. I mean, you address some sore stuff it always gets better um with that uh, thank you for tuning in to another episode of game rivals um you can find us on all your favorite podcasting platforms apple podcast uh, overcast out outcast <laughs> uh anchor spotify uh, google play we're, we're there um you can leave us a voice message on anchor you don't have to create an account for that you can just click the link in the description and leave us a message uh, we might feature you as a rival um you can find us on twitter at game underscore rivals underscore uh, you can also find maximilian on twitter at maximilian um we're on instagram uh, at game rivals that's where i'm mostly at um maximilian is over at at maximilian underscore x if you want all that secret of mana goodness uh, or Monster Hunter's goodness in this case, head on over. Um, you can leave us an email, gamerivalsfeedback at gmail.com. And I think with that, I've had it all. Mm-hmm. On that note, I have and always will be Sean Templer. And I have and always be Maximilian X. And we'll catch you on the next one.